Father, help us now, we pray. As we look at Acts, help us to have soft hearts uh, that are willing to listen and obey your word. We pray that you would shape us continually to be those who honour you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, if you've been coming regularly on Sunday evenings, then you know that as we've been looking at the book of Acts, we've been using a title. The title is there on the screen, The Church is Not Dead. And it's an important title, and it's really quite a provocative title, because um, to many, the church is so obviously dead. Um, To many in our society, it's at least so almost dead that it might as well be dead, because you look around and you see numbers of church attendances growing, uh, falling. We see church buildings being turned into restaurants and mosques. Um, We see the number of Christian adherents falling with every national survey. We see Christian values being increasingly forgotten and disregarded in the public square. We even see the existence of the atheist church. That's in our country. If we look elsewhere, there may be some signs of wonderful growth, but we can easily think of countries where, again, the numbers of Christians are in steady decline. And so, are we really so sure the church is not dead? Or is it just wishful thinking to think otherwise? Are we really doing the right thing coming here on a Sunday evening and giving up time and energy to the cause of Jesus and his church? Well, the book of Acts helps us to answer that question. In 1 verse 1, Luke describes his former book, that is the Gospel of Luke, as being about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So by implication, this book, the book of Acts, that we've been seeing, is all about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. As Daniel Blanche said last week, Acts, although often is known as the Acts of the Apostles, is really the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus, performed by his Spirit through his people. So Acts tells us what the Lord Jesus is doing in his world today. And we get that right at the beginning. So if you just have a look at 1 verse 8, we have this significant statement, this program, where Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus is doing today, we see, is he's building his church. He's growing his kingdom. He's spreading his word. That is what he's doing. So it's no wonder that by the end of the book, we see Paul in Rome, the imperial capital, preaching the gospel. And it's interesting that everyone is talking about Jesus. Just have a look at 28 verse 22. Um, or listen. Luke says this, or it, was, it, it, said, it said this, we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Now it's, in, it's incredible. We get to Rome, and this um, supposedly dead carpenter from Galilee is the talk of the entire Roman world. It's amazing. Because we see that is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's building his church. He's growing his kingdom. He's spreading his word. So what is Acts all about? Well, in a nutshell, Acts is about how the risen Lord Jesus sends his spirit to equip his people to spread his word to the ends of the earth. That is Acts in a nutshell. And it's written that we today might know that Jesus is really the saviour of the world and that we might get on board with his mission because we see what he's doing. So are we really sure the church is not dead? The book of Acts gives us a resounding answer. 
It tells us then about the church, and it tells us today about the church. It is not dead, because the risen Lord Jesus sends the Spirit to equip his people to spread his word to the ends of the earth. And I want us to see three particular reasons this evening why the church is not dead. Three answers to that question. One thing we learn about God, one thing we learn about God's word, and one thing we learn about the experience of God's people. Are we really sure the church is not dead? Well, firstly, it's not dead because God is committed to the spread of his word. Secondly, because God's word is for people from every nation. And thirdly, because even opposition to God's people is under his control. So number one, the first reason why the church is not dead is that God is committed to the spread of his word. So I wonder um, this evening how you feel your personal evangelism is going. I wonder if you're encouraged. You might think, yeah, answer prayers, one-to-one Bible reading with a non-Christian, friends coming to Christian to explore, to church, opportunities to chat to people. You might feel greatly encouraged. You might be discouraged. You might think, just no one seems interested. You've tried and failed. God doesn't seem to want to use you. So perhaps you've become prayerless or shy or disengaged. I wonder how you feel we're doing as a church. Praise God for some conversions. But we don't see many and many. And relative to some stories of explosive growth, we may feel discouraged. The danger is, I suppose, that we just become comfortable as we are. We give up thinking our, our mission is to tell people. We change track, perhaps, focus on something else. What has the book of Acts got to say? Well, here's the encouragement. God is committed to the spread of his word. See, we see in Acts that it is God who is the great missionary. He is the great evangelist. Mission, the spread of his word, is his idea. It's his plan. Yes, wonderfully, he uses weak people like me and like you, but he does not depend on any of us. And the chief thing that he is doing in the world today is building his church, growing his kingdom, spreading his word. And if we miss this, if we miss what God is doing, we really miss out on the main activity of the world, the growth of the church. Because the meaning of life is to know God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To be ready when the Creator comes to judge. That is the most important event of all. And if we miss this, we really miss out on the whole point. I don't know if you're a tennis fan, but if you are, then you'll know, obviously, that it's Wimbledon time. And uh, when I was younger, I went a number of times to Wimbledon on several occasions, and I enjoyed it. There's so much going on at Wimbledon Tennis Club. So there's the shop, there's the museum, there's the cafe, there's the restaurant, there's the mound, there's a bank, there's a library, there's a news agent, there's even a pharmacy. And there are these tennis courts as well. Now, imagine it would be just about possible, if you didn't have a programme, to go to Wimbledon Tennis Club and miss the point of it all. That is, you could uh, get your strawberries and cream, you could have a cappuccino, enjoy a light lunch, do a spot of shopping, get some money out the bank, buy the paper, go to the library, have a wander around the museum, sit down on Murray's Mound. You might have a lovely day. But, of course, if you did that and you didn't pay any attention to the tennis, you would really miss the whole point. What you need is a programme to tell you what is going on. And the book of Acts is God's programme for us today. 
Now we see it in 1 verse 8, and we see it throughout the book in five key summary statements that Luke tells us to tell us how it's going on. You see, what Luke is interested in as we look at the book is growth. That is what he wants to see. Because that's the point. That's the programme. That's what the church is all about. Reaching the world. That is what Jesus is doing today. So here's a quick overview. You might want to turn to the references. You might just want to listen. But as you hear, um, listen to the words that are to do with growth. Okay. So in 6 verse 7, after the church is established in Jerusalem, we're told this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Then there's 9 verse 31 after Saul's conversion. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Then, despite opposition at the hands of the authorities, 1224, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Then, after the verdict of the Jerusalem Council is taken to the churches, we read in 16 verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And then after Paul's final missionary journey to Ephesus, we read in 1920, in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So picture a fire spreading through a forest. Or a dam bursting, water crashing through. Picture a high-speed train zooming past and away. Or a Mexican wave flowing through a crowd. Or a line of dominoes after the first one has been pushed over. So is the spread of God's word. It is unstoppable. Now again and again we see in the book that God uses people, but it is he who drives the action. So just think about this, seeing how it is God all the time who drives it. Chapter 2 at Pentecost, it is God who sends the Holy Spirit to empower his people to preach the gospel. Chapter 5, it is an angel of the Lord who frees the apostles from prison. And do you remember where he takes them? After they've been freed from prison, he takes them directly to the synagogue to carry on preaching. Chapter 8, it is God who uses the great persecution of the church in Jerusalem to spread his word to Judea and Samaria. It is the Holy Spirit who takes Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, the first Gentile convert. Chapter 9, it is the risen Lord Jesus who appears to Saul, commissions him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Chapter 10 and 11, it is God who gives Peter the vision, um, who sends an angel to Cornelius, which leads to the Gentile inclusion. And Peter says in 11 verse 17, after this incident, he says, Who was I to think I could oppose God? Because he knew that it was God's doing. Chapter 12, it is an angel of the Lord who frees Peter from prison. In chapter 13, in Pisidian Antioch, it is God who brings conversion. So the Luke says, all those who were appointed for eternal life, believe. Chapter 16, it is the Holy Spirit who stops Paul going to Bithynia. It is God who sends the vision of the man in Macedonia so that Paul goes to Europe. Um, chapter 18, it is the Lord who comforts Paul in Corinth and says, I have many people in this city. Chapter 20, it is the Spirit who compels Paul to go to Jerusalem. Chapter 23, it is the Lord Jesus who stands by Paul in the barracks in Jerusalem and tells him he will testify about him in Rome. And finally, chapter 27, it is the Lord who preserves Paul's life during the shipwreck to get him to Rome. And what we're seeing again and again throughout the book is that God is committed to the spread of his word. 
He is the great missionary, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He is the great evangelist. It's his work and he's doing it. And I think that's a very important truth for us as Christians today. I guess there are two dangers that we could fall into. Well, here are two dangers that I can think of. One is that we are not involved. The other is that we lose heart. So some of us will be tempted to not be involved. We might think, well, I'm just not a very good evangelist. No one wants to hear. Some Christians do it really well, but not me. I've got my own problems. Who could I possibly help? Or wouldn't it be better as a church if we were focused on other things, more sort of felt needs instead? And so we get to the stage where we're not really praying for unbelievers, not really speaking to people, not really caring. And the book of Acts says to us, <laughs> get on board with Jesus' mission. To not be involved in this is to miss the point. This is what he calls us to do. And I guess some of us will need to hear that message today. The other danger, though, is that we lose heart. We think it's all about us. We see the seriousness of hell and feel crippled by the task. We're aware of our weakness in this area and we feel guilty frequently. I wonder if you've ever had that experience where you plan to say something to someone and it just goes wrong. Just recently I came across an old colleague and I knew this was the last time, would be the last time that I would see them and I happened to have a tract with me explaining the gospel and I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll use the opportunity and give it to them. And I gave them this tract. I mumbled something about God. I went red, felt very embarrassed and just scarpered as soon as I could, spending the next 20 minutes lamenting what a fool I am. And it was such a failure. It looked so ridiculous. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if, if I'm the kind of person that God uses, just choose someone else, go elsewhere. Hopeless. And I find, personally, it very easy to lose heart. And if you're tempted, like me, to lose heart, God says, he has chosen his Messiah, and it's not me, and it's not you. Acts says it's not down to me, it is down to God, because he is the great evangelist. He is the great missionary. Yes, wonderfully, I can be used by God. You can be used by God. Praise him for that. But it does not depend on me. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on us. And I really need to hear that. Maybe you do as well. So the message is don't give up. Don't lose heart. We may look at ourselves, our church, our society, our world, and lose heart. But we mustn't. Because God is committed to the spread of his word. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is this, I think. Do we share the heart of God? Are we concerned about the spread of his word? Do we care for the lost? Do we share the Father's joy when one sinner repents? Because to our Father, he takes more joy in that than over 99 righteous people who don't need to. Now, we're not Paul. None of us have been commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, most of us will not be gifted as preachers or missionaries. Some will, but most of us won't. But what we see in Acts is public proclamation and the establishment of local churches. And so most of us are involved in this great work by loving our local church, by loving the proclamation of the gospel, by seeking to invite others in and seeking to share God's word. We may not be poor, but we could all play a role. So as we go from here this evening, the challenge is, will we recommit ourselves to pray for opportunities to share God's word? 
as we look to the summer ahead, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were praying for an opportunity to open up the Bible with someone? Or perhaps to invite someone to church? Or perhaps to have some kind of conversation with someone we've never spoken to before? Because this is what God is doing in the world. He's committed to the spread of his word. Are we really sure the church is not dead? It's not dead, because God is committed to the spread of his word. That's the first answer. The second is this. It's not dead because God's word is for people from every nation. I've spoken before about my experience of going to watch football in the city arms, just on the Cowley Road, and finding nowhere to sit, and ending up in a back room of a back garden of Pizza Roma. And within five minutes, um, in, in, very near, in two places very near each other, I experienced two vastly different worlds. So in the city arms, there was a young British and European crowd. In Pizza Roma, it was Saudi Arabians smoking their shisha pipes. And these worlds had nothing to do with each other. And yet was so near, and yet so different. And it raises the question, who is God's word for? Who should we want to be in Magdalen Road Church? And Acts gives us the answer. God's word is for people from every nation. So just think the program in 1 verse 8 tells us that God's word is to go to the ends of the earth. The logic is there in 4 verse 12 when Peter says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That is the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Therefore, everyone needs to hear. Stephen's speech tells us that God is not confined to the Jewish law in the Jewish temple. The Ethiopian unit takes the gospel to Africa. One of the most significant events in the whole book is the conversion of Cornelius, Gentile inclusion. Peter says in 10.34, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts people from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. This is for everyone. The first Gentile church is in Antioch. Then there's the Jerusalem Council, which understands that Gentiles do not need to become Jews to be acceptable to God. Peter says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And then finally, Paul's speeches at the end, um, which Charlie preached on, labour the point that God has come, that Jesus has come, in fulfilment of God's promise to the Jews. So he says, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And we ask the question, why does Paul seem to labour this again and again? Well, it's because he wants us to see that Christianity is not some man-made religion that popped up 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus comes to fulfil the promises of God made at the very beginning of humanity. All that is to say is that Christian faith is not rooted in one culture and in one age. It transcends them all. It is for everyone. So Christian faith is not like chopsticks. Chinese love to use chopsticks. Personally, I find them a bit awkward. It's not like cues. As an Englishman, and maybe you can um, relate to me, I love cues. I think they're very important, very wise. But I understand that some cultures think they're a bit weird. It's not like owning guns. Our American friends think, think it's very wise to own guns. As an Englishman, I think it's a bit dangerous. I'm not sure whether to do it. We used to have um, Iranian friends and neighbours of ours, and we'd go around there quite regularly and eat these wonderful Iranian meals. And we'd eat on the floor. We'd sit on a, on a carpet, on a mat, on a rug. And it was quite fun at first, quite novel, but in the end it just hurts your back. 
And I think we might just stick with a chair and a table. It's not like wearing a kilt. No offence, Kitty, but I thank the Lord I'm not Scottish when it comes to wearing a kilt. No, God's word is for all people. It transcends culture. It transcends time. It's for people from every nation. And so the message that we as Christians must give to non-Christians is that all of us have sinned, and yet all of us are called back to God. Because Jesus died and rose again, we can all be forgiven. All are welcome. In the end, either we pay for our sin, or God pays for us one way, and we are all offered it. And as Christians, I think this is so important for us to remember. Praise God for the growth of the church overseas, in China, in South Korea, and in places in Africa. Praise God the nations have come to us in the West, to Oxford. What an amazing opportunity we have to share God's word. And it's wonderful at Modern Road that we have iConnect, um, certain people who are particularly committed to sharing the gospel with internationals. But the danger is, I suppose, that we leave it to certain individuals. And it's a danger because all of us will interact with internationals in our daily lives. So wouldn't it be amazing, wouldn't it be wonderful, if in our church there was a culture where everyone sought to befriend people from different cultures, from different countries, where everyone was praying for friends from different countries, where we were sharing, seeking to share Christ with internationals. Now it's great, isn't it, that we have a mixture of internationals already at our church, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we had more in a place like Oxford? Because God's word is for everyone. And it might just be that we find it's with internationals who we see much more fruitful, who are much softer towards the gospel of Christ. So are we really sure the church is not dead? Well, it's not dead because God's word is for people from every nation. The final reason the church is not dead is this. Even opposition to God's people is under his control. You may well have read in the news uh, this week that campaigners went to the UK Supreme Court over the right to die. And it was an attempt to introduce legislation to amend the law on assisted suicide. Campaigners want individuals to be free to take their lives when they deem it fit. And part of the issue here is that our society has no place for suffering. We prize comfort and pleasure. The good life is a life of leisure. Our main philosophy is avoid pain and pursue pleasure. And yet as Christians, we are called to suffer. Yes, suffering because we live in a fallen world, but also because uniquely we follow a crucified Christ. And this is exactly what we see happening in the book of Acts. So just think in chapter 4, Peter and John are seized by the Sanhedrin. In chapter 5, all the apostles are arrested by the religious authorities. In chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death. In chapter 8, there's the great persecution against the Jerusalem church. In chapter 9, after his conversion, Saul has to be lowered in a basket to avoid his persecutors in Damascus. His life is then plotted against in Jerusalem. In chapter 12, James, the brother of John, is killed by Herod. And then in Paul's missionary journeys, we see opposition after opposition after opposition. It follows him like the plague. In Pisidia and Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are forced to leave. In Iconium, there's a plot to stone them. In Lystra, Paul is stoned, but survives. In Philippi, he's imprisoned. In Thessalonica, Berea, Ephesus, forced to leave. 
Jerusalem he's plotted against, and then eventually we understand he's killed in Rome. Throughout the book, we see intense persecution of the people of God. And what we'll all know today is that nothing has changed. Because Christianity continues to be the most persecuted religion of all. So I read this month of a Pakistani girl facing the death penalty and suffering in prison. Of an arson attack on a church in Indonesia. Of an Iranian pastor beaten and imprisoned. Of a Christian man stabbed in Palestine. Of a Somalian church leader gunned down. I guess we all would have read of the uh, Sudanese lady in prison for being a Christian. Miriam Ibrahim was given the death penalty for supposedly abandoning the Christian faith. That was public when she married an American Christian three years ago. Although she was brought up by a Christ, as a Christian by her mother, her father's a Muslim, and so the state consider her a Muslim, even though she doesn't and never has. She's been imprisoned, threatened with the death penalty. Now, praise God, she's actually been released but of course there are so many cases that we don't hear of in the Western media that do not end so well. And when we read these kind of things, what should we make of it? We might ask, well, why doesn't God stop this? And could this be the end of the church? Could opposition kill the church? But remarkably, what we see in Acts, and is true today, is that even opposition is under God's control. He even uses it for good. So just think back to chapter 8, where we see this intense persecution against the Jerusalem church. All except the um, apostles were persecuted and scattered. And yet, where did they go? Well, they went to Judea and Samaria, and they took the gospel with them. That is, they went exactly where God wanted them to go. He used this persecution for good, for the spread of his word. So persecution is under his control and it will not kill the church. It can actually grow the church. As has been famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now time and again we hear stories where countries try and eradicate the church, where they try and get rid of God's people. In our own country it's not physical, but we do see people who seek to um, make a mockery of Jesus Christ and eradicate belief in him. And there's great mystery there, isn't there? Why does God allow this? Why is it going on? And we certainly don't have all the answers. We don't know what will happen in any given country. But what we do know in the book of Acts is that even persecution is under God's control. And so how should we respond to that? Well, do you remember the, the way the apostles did when they were imprisoned and flogged in chapter 5? Luke says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin Rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, there is, of course, deep, deep grief at opposition to God's people when Christians are opposed and persecuted and killed. We see that when Stephen is killed. Christians mourn deeply. There isn't a sort of glossing over of the emotional and physical pain. It's a terrible thing. But... It is not outside of God's control. That is why we can trust him and be confident. That is why Paul can say in chapter 20, 24, I consider my life nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news 
of God's grace. Because he knew that even opposition to God's people is under his control. So friends, we must be those who pray for our suffering brothers and sisters around the world. I think it's very easy to think this doesn't apply to us, but only if we have no concern for the global church. If we do, we will be deeply aware of this. And yes, in our country we can thank God for peace, but at the same time we mustn't be naive. That is to say that being a Christian will not be easy. It's not easy to stand up for Christ in the public square, at work. We'll be aware of that. People will not love us for being a Christian. It's not easy to be thought of as a bigot or narrow-minded or intolerant or stupid, which is, of course, how, increasingly how people view Christians today. And to the extent that we do find it hard, let us not be surprised. Let us remember it is not outside of God's control. It's normal Christian living. It's often the way that God grows his church, and it's often the way that he grows us, weaning us off our love for this world and causing us to hope for the next. Even opposition is under God's, to God's people is under his control. So are we really sure the church is not dead? Well, the book of Acts gives us a resounding answer. It is not dead because God is committed to the spread of his word. And so we are called today to get on board with his mission because God's word is for people from every nation. So let us seek to share it with them. And because even opposition to God's people is under his control, let us be willing to stand up for Christ, whatever the consequences. I'll pray. Father, we do thank you for this wonderful book and this wonderful encouragement to us that you are with your people and that you're growing your people, that you keep your people. We thank you the church is not dead. And we pray that you would encourage us this evening that Jesus really is the saviour of the world. That you would encourage us to get on board with his mission. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.